You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Avengers Episode 4A, covering a period of the Avengers from 1968 to 1969. And I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Avengers co-host, Chris Russ. Today we're going to be talking about Avengers number 57 to 68. Yeah, and this epic collection, the epic collection volume four, which is called Behold the Vision, it goes all the way up to issue number 76, but we're splitting this into two parts. We'll tackle the next part of this epic next week. And uh, also because we decided to split it um, after a three-part story that takes place right in the middle of this epic collection. So this, this episode has... Uh, more issues than the next issue because the the split isn't an even straight down the middle split. So what I'm going to do is uh, I have listener comments, people who want to talk about this particular volume with us, and I'm going to save those for the next episode since we don't have as much to talk about in that one. However, we can start by just talking about this this epic collection, what we need to know going into it, what are the, 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 the threads or the plot points that are important to know uh, regarding these stories, and uh, just general comments about this epic collection uh, and your thoughts. What do you have to say about this one, Chris? Yeah, I think that this is one of my favorite epic collections I own. It's probably my second favorite one, second only to like the peak of the Lee Kirby Fantastic Four stuff. I think the the greatest comics that came out of Marvel in the 60s or in the Silver Age, um, you know, are the, the, the Steve Dicko stuff and then the peak Jack Kirby stuff. But this is on the level like right below those. So, you know, if, if Lee Kirby FF and Ditko Spider-Man are top tier, this is on the tier with like Steranko Shield um, and, you know, and, and that kind of other really great Silver Age Marvel stuff. Some of the issues in here are some of my favorite comic books of all time. Um, I, I think that I would really recommend this to anybody who is trying out Epic Collections, anybody who is new to the Avengers. This is just a great jumping on point overall, not just because of the story content, but also the art. There are some incredible uh, generational talents in here yes. and a good sampling of them too. Um, so you have John Buscema, you have his brother Sal Buscema, some really cool Gene Colan issues, and a very young uh, Barry Windsor Smith um, also present in this volume. Yeah, it's true. It's a really, really good selection. The only thing that I would maybe hesitate um, on bringing people in is while the stories are great, the the actual roster is not what we typically expect from the Avengers. That's true, um, yes. You, you don't have the big three. Even Captain America is pretty absent throughout this volume. Um, and I mean, the Thor and Iron Man do pop in from time to time, but they are never mm-hmm. feature characters. Right. And then the other ones, like 
like well we'll talk about this here that uh, giant man goes through a very big transformation and so does hawkeye to points that if you're only familiar with the movies you don't really know these characters at all in this sense <laughs> right uh so in in that just talking about that is right. like that, yeah that all is very true yeah it's not your typical avengers in that sense um but that doesn't make that doesn't mean that this isn't enjoyable they still have crafted really good stories and i really feel mm-hmm. like this volume shows the shift in writing style and mm-hmm. the shift in the way uh the way stories are told as as marvel moves through into the 70s cuz things do right. start to change I, it's we're moving further and further away from the way Stan told stories and more into a more contemporary uh, pattern uh, and just a cadence of how the things are being told. Right. And at the as this volume kind of simultaneously, as this volume is going on, you have uh, Jim Steranko doing his Nick Fury agent. Shield thing, um, you still have Kirby at Marvel, but it's the tail end of that. Um, and by the end of this volume, he's he's gone. Um, just you know, in terms of a kind of uh, contemporary comics at Marvel, so you do have a visual style change as well. The influence of Kirby is less felt in some ways, although the Barry Windsor Smith issues are heavily Kirby influenced. But you see a lot more um, like screen tones. You see a lot more kind of formally experimental art techniques. Even yeah. the coloring shifts a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that could be attributed to having somebody like uh, Jim Steranko really experimenting with. The form at your company at the time so it's a very interesting transitional period you also have you know in terms of it being a you're right in a lot of ways this is a weirder avengers roster but you also have a lot of really kind of classic avengers villains you have kang you have ultron um you have some of these kind of classic uh, opponents of the avengers that make this a nice jumping on point for that reason at least that's true yeah and also just a bunch of fun second stringer kind of characters like Eggman <laughs> yes. and um, and swordsman, yeah, it's it's really nice. And and if you're a fan of uh, Black Panther, then you get a good dose of him as well, because you get a mm-hmm. and, and even some of the background in some of his supporting cast as well. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, and in terms of plot points to jump into this, I, I think a lot of the characterization, you get fairly well caught up on it. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in these first couple of issues, uh, Roy Thomas does a really good job of bringing everyone up to speed on the, the characters and where they're at emotionally. Um, so I, so I, I think it's not too difficult in terms of that to jump in. That's true. I, I think the only running plot point that you need to know of is that Black Widow is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, but even that they explain pretty easily. Right. And one thing that we've been talking about as we've been going through, like week by week, all of these Avengers volumes, these issues are improved by going through all the issues in front of them. So mm-hmm. you don't need to have read them, but it really is, you know, to, to your point, what you were saying in earlier episodes, it really improves the experience if you do read Avengers volume one, two, three, leading on it. Well, let's dive into our issues for today, starting with issue number 57. This one is called Behold the Vision. It's where the Epic Collection takes its name. This is an, a solid start to this volume. It's like, wow, you, they couldn't have picked a better issue to begin this book with, because um, not only do we have uh, the return of Ultron, a character that we had just briefly met before in a previous volume, but we also have the Vision... Uh, a brand new character who comes kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, and I think, I mean, 
I almost it's almost surprising that if you go from reading the Epic Collection before this to this one, the last Epic Collection was fine, but it, it almost feels like Roy Thomas and John Buscema made some kind of massive leap just between the two issues. From issue fifty six up to fifty seven, even like the art style has like shifted. He was Buscema was really using these kind of swollen, exaggerated, cartoonish, muscular characters, like in the Masters of Evil stuff. Yes. And here he's back to these kind of like pre Raphaelite forms. Um and and John Buscema excuse me, Roy Thomas's writing is just, it's almost poetic, um, especially with the kind of conclusion of this, this issue. <laughs> literally um, but poetic. But even the characterization, it, yeah, literally poetic. But it really pulls on, uh, you know, a lot of emotion and pathos, and he's just really pulling out the stops in this issue. It's one of my favorite comics ever, this issue. That's a good point with uh, with the way he draws his characters. And you, you think about how, I mean, I guess lumpy is the way I want to describe it. How lumpy characters like Toad and Magneto were. And and yeah, you're right. That's lost here. And we settle into more of the John Buscema style that we're well familiar with. The one that would go on to be the definitive, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Conan the Barbarian style. Uh, It's not quite there, but it's pretty much there. But man, it's just, it's still good. I do wonder how much of that did to George Klein. They seem like they're really clicking here as well. I mean, I think, you know, it obviously still looks like Buscema, but if you go to the back matter of this epic collection, um, there is the, you, you can see the the pencils um, that are sitting under the finished inks, because Buscema uses a blue line, um, and you can see those pretty clearly, and there's, obviously the ink covers up a lot, but there's a really scratchy blue line that's, there's a lot of it that's visible. Um, so in the back matter of this epic collection, you can see, you know, kind of... Um, I think it's, let's see, it might be from the next, it's actually from Avengers, yeah, it's from Avengers 58, but you can still see where he's drawing the vision, there's a lot of extra lines, and so it gives George Klein like a lot of options of where he's actually picking to make his marks. Um, So I I would also give him a lot of credit in the kind of slim, smooth look of these issues. His style of inking is very interesting because he inks one of the Barry Smith issues, and his style looks very, very different. In fact, that's how he's been inking John Buscema stuff in, in previous issues in the previous volume uh, but yeah, that's not how he's inking mm-hmm. his like he's actually changed his inking style for this issue it, it's interesting to see him do that right he has this kind of like a lot of feathered edge mm-hmm. and thin lines with thick lines as opposed to just kind of a more solid pop art outline uh, yeah. like he does on the Barry Windsor Smith issue yeah well as far as this story is con- concerned an android with many different powers attacks Jan and the team finds out that he's a creation of Ultron 5 and that's that's you know that a very basic overview of the of the issue because a lot kind of happens. Um, I was very surprised at how fully realized a character Vision is. Like right off the bat, Roy mm-hmm. knew exactly what he wanted to do with him, yep. and there isn't really even need for for development. I mean, you think back at like the first appearances of characters like Hawkeye. And and even even Iron Man or or Thor, those early issues of of their books, uh, Vision coming into it, it's like it's like he's been around forever already, and his character even right. today is just like this. And I think that that's because Vision was such a fully realized character right from the get go that people didn't need to feel the need to improve upon it like 
like other characters. He is, I think, the first Avenger who was kind of created to be an Avenger. Um, you know, with with the exception of like Wonder Man later became an Avenger, and he was the you know Vision is a whole cloth Roy Thomas creation. You know, who he created to be a critical core member of the Avengers, and I think that's really clear here. Um, you know, he he's a fantastic, really interesting character, um, and actually Roy Thomas wanted him to be the original uh, Simon and Kirby Vision, Arcus, who was a golden age figure um who looks kind of similar to this vision but uh stanley my understanding is he vetoed that so Mm -hmm. um he's but but you know that that golden age character didn't have all of the character traits that this vision does so it is a new character in that sense but yeah i i I love the character i think he's one of the most important avengers and he he really makes a mark right away in this issue yeah he really does it's great and just learning about his history with ultron they and i was surprised that they kind of they they get right into the mystery of it and and give us kind of the whole story right away. Uh, in fact, actually, it's in the next issue, so maybe we mm-hmm. won't go quite there yet. But um, what I found interesting also is that Vision doesn't really have motivation or any real purpose except for destroying the Avengers. That's really his only game. Mm-hmm. And so it made him... Yep out to be a little bit of a flimsy character. The only reason why the issue was was so good is because the vision is introduced in it. Right. Right. And I, and I also like, you know, I had mentioned mentioned earlier that Roy Thomas really brings the the reader up to speed on kind of characterization. And and he was Roy Thomas was lacking a little bit of characterization in the last few issues and he really steps it up here and pretty in a pretty compact kind of way. So you have the Wasp and Hank who are, you know, kind of wanting to get married but don't really know if they can commit or not. That gets taken care of in like a page. And then and then you have Hawkeye and Black Widow. They have their kind of um, romantic tension again one page in and out and then black panther's motivation where he he didn't really feel fulfilled by his time on the throne as the ruler of wakanda uh, but then he doesn't know if america is the place for him either and he's struggling with that with his different obligations yeah really compelling job of bringing us up to speed on all those different character motivations i'm not sure why there is the black widow scene here Mm -hmm. uh, because she has been absent for a few issues and will continue to be absent for a few issues here and this one page is basically her saying Hey Hawkeye, I'm back. Oh, but I gotta go again. See ya. And right. like it, <laughs> I felt like it served no <laughs> real big purpose here. Yeah, it, it it does drive home the point that Hawkeye is a little bit unsettled as a character. Like he's you know he has a lot he has some personal things going on, which will kind of color his actions later in this epic collection. Yeah, you know, and it makes him you know a little bit of a tragic character. And also he's kind of handles it in a kind of jerky kind of way where he's like, I got busy Avengers things to do anyway. Go away. Right. So it developed his character there, but you're right, it doesn't naturally flow from any. Thing. There's not really been any hints about that. I do like seeing the Black Widow back because she's a cool character, and I was uh, disappointed when she kind of just decided to retire. Um, but it doesn't flow necessarily organically. Yeah. Uh, okay, so in the last page here, we mentioned how poetic things are. And uh, this is a, a poem called Ozymandias, mm-hmm. and I had to study this poem when I was in high school. So as soon as I read it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is so familiar. <laughs> it's kind of a poem. <laughs> I think it's a poem that uh, it gets used in comics on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I really like that sequence. And I, I'm I'm also impressed that they even made this decision. It's it's an unusual thing to do, just having a series of, of images without dialogue and having the poem serve as kind of captions detached from the image. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very strange uh, kind of creative decision. And I think it's one that really works. I think that is very impactful, the way they do that. 
and it's the strength to uh, it's, it's the strength of the medium as well because if you just had this page as the still images, it would still work because John Buscema is a good storyteller, and you can tell what's going on here. And then the poem mm-hmm. by itself, uh, if you read the poem by itself, it has one meaning. But as soon as you pair it with these images, the poem takes on a different meaning. And the pictures also take on a different meaning. So this is where the, the perfect union between words and pictures really shows its strength in this one page, right. the last page of this issue here. Right. Okay, well, let's move on to the next issue, n- number 58. All right. So Avengers 58 even an android can cry. Another iconic issue. You see people, um, you see people with the the kind of dramatic image in this issue of the Vision with a tear running down his face. You see that in avatars all over Twitter and oh, yeah. and Facebook and stuff like that. Because it's, it's a great so image. Good. Yes, it's very striking and very good. Um, so in this issue, uh, Black Panther makes a dramatic entrance into the Avengers mansion, um, and he's and all the Avengers are assembled there. So even you know the older kind of original members, Iron Man, Thor, and they're there to decide if the, and Captain America if the Vision should become the next member of the Avengers. Um, and then we also have Ultron, um, kind of plotting and scheming, and we learn more about his origin, and it's a very fascinating origin. We learn how he was created by Hank Pym, how Hank he wiped Hank Pym's memory. Um, and it, it sets up this kind of Avengers family tree where, in a way, Vision is the grandson of Hank Pym, uh, which, which makes for some compelling storytelling yeah. throughout Avengers history. Um, but, but again, a really compelling issue, further develops the character of the Vision, and also Ultron is a, as a villain who is just really central to the Avengers mythos. Uh, this was another great issue, well drawn. There are just some standout things. Like if you go to page three of this issue, page twenty-eight in the Epic Collection, mm-hmm. just the just the fact that John Buscema drew the the back of Vision and he's holding his cape. Just little details yep. like that. I love that that uh, he just includes those. Uh, because it just adds more of a more of a realism or just in, something interesting to look at. It's very very nice. Right, right. I uh, I was down at the Toledo uh, Art Museum the other day, and they were they had some you know small bronze sculptures, and I was thinking about how they look like John Buscema pictures, just like <laughs> you know, how dramatically the characters are shaped. Yeah. Um, and so like they like on page thirty of this of this volume, page five or page five of the issue, just the way he's lifting up Iron Man, which looks so thoroughly effortless and but he it gives a sense of strength um but also just relaxation that is really amazing for for one image to be able to convey all of that yeah that's true well i'd imagine that john Buscema probably studied a lot of those ancient sculptures and paintings and such quite a bit yes yes i, th- I think that's very true I, I one thing i love about this issue is that it brings out captain america's number one leadership tactic which is that when there's a new Avengers candidate, he just tries to instigate a fight to solve <laughs> yes. the problems. This happened with Hercules as well, where he was like, I know how we'll solve this. We'll fight him. And he kind of does the same thing here. So that's his move. And it works both times. So I guess Captain America knows what he's doing. <laughs> I-, I like the splash page also on uh, page 33 or page 8 of, of the issue. It- yes. It's great, but I don't understand why Spider-Man is there. He's not actually... When was he made an Avenger? Because so I this bothered me, so I looked it up. <laughs> okay, because the only other time um, that Spider-Man has so been in, in Avengers is the one where it was actually a robot Spider-Man, right? Right. Uh, right. So the, the the logic that I read for why he's in this is it says in the top left of that page. This is page thirty-three of the Epic Collection. Yeah. Both those who have been chosen and those who were who were but called. And in Avengers or in uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual number three, 
he was offered a position. Oh, okay. Is, um, I wonder if that's is that the issue where it was the the King story and he was a robot that whole thing. Um, that's Avengers. I don't remember. I just remember eight or whatever. Oh, that's right. That was an Avengers issue. So yeah. Amazing Spider-Man Annual number three, um, the Avengers did offer him a position. Yeah, okay. that's the one where he's on the cover and yep. he's like punching the Hulk, who's like grabbing him. So yep. So that's the explanation I found as to why. So he was butt called, even though he was never an <laughs> okay. official Avenger. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes <laughs> sense. Okay. That that answers my question then, because I was like, all of the rest of them have ties to Spider-Man, and I mean uh, ties to the Avengers, and I should have figured that. Uh, I guess in his own book at some point he he crossed paths with them black widow's also in this picture even though they denied her membership <laughs> right yeah i don't exactly know why she's there uh, i mean she's in a lot of the avenger adventures I, you know i yeah. enjoy when she's there but and, and swordsman's not there even though he technically was an avenger even though he tricked his way into the team kind of but he was and avenger. wonder man too like wonder man could be in this picture even though he's dead but yeah i don't know right interesting the criteria are a little shaky, but it's you know it's still a it's, cool it's picture, really fun right? To see that name still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're overthinking it. Yep. Um, I really like Vision's the choices for Vision's powers, um, his power to change his density, uh, which they explained really well. Even when I was a kid, I immediately understood how that power worked, even though it's a very strange thing. Um, and then also his ability to pass through walls is just looks so cool when Buscema illustrates it. Um, I, I think both of those are fascinating, and part of what makes him such a cool character because they're um, kind of abnormal power sets that you don't really get from a typical superhero and i think that makes him extra compelling yeah and then you couple that with the fact that he has no emotions so he automatically has a very very distinct voice compared to all of the rest of the avengers a lot of them who are just kind of wisecrackers or whatever and 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 the fact that he right. you know his eyes are always drawn black so you can't even see what his what his i know i know he doesn't have pupils but no one knew this at this point he's just always drawn with black eyes um, just interesting mm -hmm. because you convey so much of your emotion through the way the character looks and you can't do that. I mean, I guess that's not any different than any of the other Avengers who wear masks and their eyes get whited out or like Iron Man's face or, or stuff. But yeah. yeah, it's just harder to do. Right. And that's why the Buscema posing is really so essential because yes. that sells a lot of what he's feeling or what his yeah, kind of emotional state is. Uh, I love in this issue, the baby Ultron. It's so terrifying when it starts talking, <laughs> calling Hank Pym dad and then immediately wants to kill him. Um, it's it's pretty effectively terrifying, even though his character design is very strange <laughs> from the get go. Yeah, I want to learn more about the evolution between this first baby Ultron to Ultron 5, and I'm hoping that they'll talk about that more at some point, but they don't in the issues that we read today. Um, right, it leaves it a little little mysterious. Yeah, so if you go to page 40, I also like the little detail in the very bottom panel. This is page uh, 15 in this issue, where you see the cab driver, or the, sorry, the, the limo mm. driver, who is the is whirlwind. Yeah. <laughs> but they he's just there in the picture. We know he's whirlwind and they don't make any mention. It's not part of the story, but I love that they included that little fact right there. Yep. Makes it even creepier. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on to issue number fifty nine. The name is Yellow Jacket. So we're leaving the Vision Ultron story behind us and moving on to a new story. And it also starts the same way as the Vision story did. All of a sudden, a new character bursts on the scene, and we don't know anything about them. Last time it was Vision, this time it's a character named Yellow Jacket. 
and Yellow Jacket mm-hmm. uh, is taking out villains. He's trying to be a hero, but he's got like a kind of a jerky sense about him. And he makes the claim that he took out Giant Man, and now he wants to be forced into the Avengers. He wants, and it it's it's also parallels Vision because Vision uh, wanted to be one of the Avengers, but he goes about it in a, such a different way. And the real shocker is at the end of the issue when uh, he when Yellow Jacket confronts Jan, and then we skip a scene, and when the Avengers finally meet up with him, she says that I'm going to marry Yellow Jacket. I was like, what? And unfortunately, because we are so far removed from these issues, I think everybody who's reading these, or hopefully everybody who's reading these, knows already what the secret is behind Yellow Jacket. I know I did. But I can just put myself yeah. into the mind of a person reading this for the first time way back in 1968 and be like, holy cow, who is this guy? And how can he? how is he able to take out Giant Man? And why is he like putting a spell on the wasp or whatever? And because obviously... Uh, I don't. I don't need you as a hostage anymore. You may go, and she says, "Yeah, but somehow I don't want to." It's like there's some sort of spell. It's like it, it's just a really, really right. great issue to to build up all this mystery and suspense, and we have no idea what's going on. And I loved it. I thought it was really good. Right, and yeah, his again with really quick character development. Yellow Jacket is this kind of pulpy, swashbuckling. Like he's a superhero, but like you said, he's a jerk. Like he's <laughs> he's not a nice guy. Yeah, and obviously, and that's you know aside from the fact that he says he killed Hank Pym, um, <laughs> even before that, he's just kind of a not cool dude um he has a great costume too i love this old yellow jacket costume with the you know with the bright yellow and the, yeah. the black and the wings and everything um i also in this issue absolutely love the j jonah jameson uh, sequence <laughs> yes. um, where this superhero he likes so spider-man who's like the <laughs> nicest guy in the world he, he still hates but yellow jacket who's clearly a jerk he thinks he's a great hero and exactly what the city needs so that was a fun little touch as well and a really good battle between yellow jacket and and goliath like I just thought that even though looking back at it, we know that it was playing out in his mind. Like this is how he says his story, but the way it's illustrated is just really, really nice because it's just a, like you have to think how is he going to actually beat this massive person, and he does it in a very believable mm-hmm. and understandable way. The way that it's laid out here, I like. Yep. I liked it a lot. Yep. And you kind of have a throwback to the, you know, the Hank Pym, you know, the man in the, the man in the, you know, anthill type of story where he's shrunken down and there's these insects that are look like monstrous beasts that he's yeah. fighting. You know, in this issue, he's trapped, trapped, uh, fighting the spider who seems to kill him. Um, so, so yeah, really nice touches there. And I also like just little design touches, like on page 63, the, uh, what do they call it? The hornet's nest, uh, which is, this, it's in a little kind of like, uh, on sitting on a tree branch, it's yeah. this compound that looks really incredible and just really cool sci-fi design. I don't think John Buscema sometimes gets enough credit for his uh, sci-fi designs. I know that's normally kind of the realm of Kirby, but Buscema does some nice um, throughout the collection, but, um, but here too, that's a really cool design. I also really like uh, little details like on page 65, which is page 19 in the issue, where they're just they're walking out of City Hall, and yeah. you don't know why, but it's because they're getting a marriage license. Uh, but you turn the page, <laughs> yeah. you turn the page, and you find out. And then, if, but it, so you only really think about that upon a, a second reading. If you look back at those issues, you realize, oh, they're at City Hall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
and George Klein is really and Buscema are really clicking. I mean, just everything is so clean and so nice looking. Love that spread on page fifty two and fifty three where you're getting into all the characters' minds and what everything they're thinking about. Those those kind of head drawings floating above on the top are just just really sharp and clean. Everything is packed in there. Buscema is really occupying the space in these panels well in a very dynamic way again. Um, yeah, and, and I think the absence of Klein is felt once we go to the next issue. Um, the the inker you know changes over to uh, it's credited to Mickey uh, Demio uh, which is a another name for Mike Esposito he goes by uh, different names sometimes when he inks but I, I don't think that that because it's a newer combination it doesn't quite work as well I think Klein and Buscema are starting to develop a great chemistry here and it really shows. Well, speaking of the next issue, shall we move on to that one? Sure, yep. So the next issue is Till Death Do Us Part, uh, and it's uh, part of the long and proud superhero tradition of the wedding comic. Um, so in you know throughout superhero history, DC and Marvel and everything else, there are lots of wedding issues. And the kind of general plot in a wedding issue is all the heroes show up, and then a villain shows up to spoil the day, and there's a big, big showdown. And, and that's generally what happens here as well. You get cameos from a lot of the wonderful Marvel heroes, um, you have every, and you have the added drama of everybody being confused as to why in the world um, Wasp is going ahead and marrying this crazy guy who claims he killed her longtime boyfriend. Um, I also like that the wedding actually happens on yeah. page ten, so halfway in. A lot of times in these issues, the wedding doesn't happen until the end, but you kind of get there really quick. And then after that, it's a big, awesome fight scene with one of my kind of favorite, kind of terrible, but I, I appreciate them. The <laughs> ringmaster, Sir Crime. They're, uh, I don't, I always enjoy when they show up. They're so weird. It's just a, such a strange, like the clown, his whole thing is just that he's a clown and he's violent. There's not more nuance than that. There's a giant snake on the team and it's just, it's just a really cool, fun issue. Like I said, you know, the second half is basically just one giant fight scene and then we get filled in on the fact that him had, they call it, you know, this is not necessarily modern medical terms. They say he had, he was a, like a schizophrenic or something like that. I don't think that's probably the accurate diagnosis, but you know, he had a, he had a kind of a breakdown, um, and he invented this yellow jacket persona um, to kind of project, you know, uh, a persona that would be more willing to marry Jan. Um, so uh, he invented yellow jacket, and in his mind concocted this story. Um, it's a little unclear how much you know he believes, how much. Uh, he invented it and was conscious of it. It's it's a little muddled, but but it, the important thing is that Wasp realized that he really was Hank Pym after he kissed her, uh, and then she also looked up the law so that she knew that if she married him, it didn't matter what name he used, <laughs> or apparently how crazy he was, as long as it was really Hank Pym. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fun issue. You know, it's it's a Silver Age comic. It's a little strange, but uh, but I really do enjoy this issue. Yeah, I think that there are. It it just seems like uh, really wasp. He's showing extreme cases of a mental disorder that you've never seen in him before. I don't think. I think that you should yeah. maybe hold off on getting married until you figure out what's going on here. <laughs> But no. Yeah, it's it's interesting kind of inversion because mm-hmm. the last issue was him kidnapping her and then in this issue she basically tricks Hank Pym into marrying her in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um so she's kind of the one taking advantage of him, which yeah. is I guess um different than a normal Silver Age story where it's normally the man kind of kidnapping the woman, but not that it's great necessarily either way. It's an interesting story. It makes for a compelling read, especially if you don't think too hard about you know the real world um, ethics of, <laughs> of everyone's decisions. Well, it does follow through with her character. 
Yes, yes, she uh, she kind of uh, she kind of wants what she wants and usually yep. gets what she wants. That's kind of the wasp mo there. Um, I do really like the ringmaster and the circus. Yeah, fun. they're they're such a fun bunch of characters. <laughs> it's really great, and they. What's neat about this this one is that they weren't even there. Um, like they weren't there because of the yellow jacket situation. They were just trying to capitalize on the fact that there was that the Avengers would be distracted. <laughs> right. And they just wanted to, they wanted vengeance on Thor, who never even showed up. Yeah, right. Which kind of goes along with their kind of character as a group where they always mess up and then they blame each other. And like, <laughs> like I think at first, cl- like sometimes Clown leads them and they're like, you're dumb. We're putting the ringmaster back in charge and vice versa. And so there's just a bunch of, you know, kind of bumbling idiots. And that follows along with that um, as well. Uh, you also have the great in this issue, the great uh, shot on page 75 of the Epic Collection, oh, page yeah. 8 of the issue, where you have all of the... So I have a question for you. If you showed up at this party with all the different heroes of the Marvel Universe, yeah. each having their own little side conversation, what kind of you try to join? Um, which conversation would I join? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you have in the back, you have Hawkeye and Black Knight and Daredevil, right, right. and the X-Men off to the side. You have uh, you have Reed Richards and Black Panther. I'm sure they're talking. I wouldn't join them because they're talking about probably some advanced scientific stuff that I couldn't <laughs> understand. And and then you have Spider Man who looks like he's annoying Nick Fury or something in the front. I think that's where I would go. That seems. I feel like I could. Spider Man could talk to anyone, so I'd have a fair shot at entering well, that conversation. <laughs> if I were younger, I would probably say I'd want to hang out with the teenagers with the X Men in the back there. But these uh, yes. days, <laughs> I think maybe Hawkeye, Daredevil, Black Knight would be a fun conversation. Um, or maybe hanging out with Johnny, <laughs> although Johnny would be a teenager as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I just imagine the way this scene is pictured, it looks like somebody just walked into the room and there's all these superheroes here. Yep. And I got like a bout of anxiety, like I was entering a party. So, <laughs> so well, it's true. I and feel this, like I would just try to talk to Spider-Man. <laughs> this is a great shot because it's so natural. Like this is what a wedding reception would look like. Uh, whereas you think of like yep. the Fantastic Four wedding or the Spider-Man wedding, I think um, there's just huge splash pages with every character like this as well. But they're all posed perfectly, uh, if, like for a group shot or something, uh, as they're as the wedding takes place yep. and stuff. So this is kind of a nice, just a slice of life. Slice of life. We're stepping into the situation picture, and, and it's really, really nice. Like you said, natural. Exactly. Yep. I also it makes me want to wonder what each group is talking about. Like, what is <laughs> Doctor Strange talking to like the Vision about? <laughs> Like it's a fascinating idea. All yeah. Of these all of these little small talk conversations. So, yeah, I know. I think this is just it's a fun issue. It's this these two issues, the kind of uh, Yellow Jacket saga, are not as good, not as compelling necessarily as the Vision pair of issues, but still really good. Uh, there is one mention of the fact that Thor is off battling Silver Surfer right now. That happens in Silver Surfer number four. And there is also a mention at the very beginning of this issue when Captain America first comes into the Avengers mansion, uh, he says that he's in the middle of a little project and Stan in a little corner box says for which see Cap's own mind-bending magazine. But I wasn't sure what the project was. Uh, The issue that corresponds with this month is a reprint, or not a reprint, but a retelling of of Captain America's origin story. And then the very next issue is Jim Steranko's first issue on Captain America. So I'm not exactly sure 
what they're talking about there uh, because it's in between stories. Yeah, I couldn't quite figure that out either. I don't know if there's a definite answer on that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that there's that Silver Surfer series that ended up. That is a series um, drawn by John Buchanan. A lot of people think that's his strongest work at yeah. Marvel, um, or, or at least really up there. And that might explain why, starting with the next issue, um, we have, um, or excuse me, not the next issue, but a couple issues from now, we have uh, guest artists start to populate in. Right. Um, because uh, because he is probably spending a lot of time um, rendering that Silver Surfer uh, series as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I really love John Buscema. I do miss when he is gone, but it is fun to get a little variety. In. Not next issue, but a couple of the ones after that. Okay, so let's keep on going over here to Avengers number 61. Uh, we are going to start a new story here. And let me tell you, these two pages, two splash pages to tell you the story, just absolutely mm. phenomenal. Uh, this, the title is, Some Say the World Will End in Fire. And then when you turn the page, and some say in ice. So dramatic. Yeah. I just love it. Really fantastic. I love when there's those dramatic kind of title pages that are built into the kind of built into the story uh, and have images of the characters. We had that with even an Android can cry um, back on page 26 of the Sepic collection with Black Panther kind of sitting on a brick wall and the bricks spelled out even an Android can cry. And there's a couple other of these really impressive splash page intros. And, and I really think it's a strong way to start, start these stories. And you mentioned that this is uh, some of the, this, Sterenko influence that we see here because definitely he did this kind of thing all the time. Um, right. I think another heavy influence is Will Eisner, who was uh, very mm. popular at, at the time, um, and he did a lot of this kind of stuff in his work dating back to, you know, the, the 40s and such. So I'm sure that most of the artists here were Will Eisner fans and and were playing around with a lot of his style as well. Yep. This is a very nitpicky artistic touch, but I was wondering, I kept seeing this on page, on the Some Say an Ice splash page. If yep. you look at the top, there's that background texture and it's like this, just this checkerboard pattern. Yep. That does it. It looks irregular. So I wonder if that's a screen tone or if they did oh, that no. by hand. I'm pretty sure it's hand. Out. It's a, it's hand oh, cross hatching. Yep. Probably that would take so long. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> All over this issue, too. I, or at least I remember seeing it a few different places. And our inker on this one is, oh, yeah, George Klein still. Okay, yeah. Yep, yep. So he's back. So And, and it looks, it does look really sharp. Um, yeah. There's a lot of places where it's like, I can't believe he's doing this. Like in Doctor Strange's costume, he just has that texture on the on his cloak and, and the chain mail in, in Black Knight's armor. It's like there's just so much little effort um, or tiny little details that, that go into it, into this issue. Yep. Just a lot of work. Then, uh, of course, you're like drawing fire constantly and and <laughs> like that takes a lot of work as well. Right. Um, yeah. A lot of great stuff. And horses. Very horses in general are just hard to draw. <laughs> yep. Yeah. This is a, a very labor intensive issue. Um, and, and I actually think that <laughs> I, I was a little, I, I do love this issue a lot, but I'm a little disappointed by the ending yeah. um, of the issue. We, we can get to that when we get there, but I, it almost <laughs> feels like they burned out. Like they expended so much effort making the issue look so good. And then the last couple pages, they just had to kind of like sprint through them or something. Well, um, I think, I think there was a reason for that and uh, we can get to it when we get to the end of the issue as well, because, um, the way well yeah we'll just get we'll get to that uh so yeah. this issue here spins out of a story that starts in doctor strange uh number uh, 178 mm -hmm. uh, in which the black knight and doctor strange team up to stop the sons of satanish and uh, because they they create a magic spell called the the, the what do they call it the curse of 
or no, the spell of fire and ice, which will bring forth a couple of monsters to destroy the world. And the monsters happen to be Ymir, the frost giant, mm-hmm. and Surtur, the fire demon. They, they both are Asgardian demons. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel uh, like I would have loved to see that Doctor Strange issue in this collection. Uh, I don't think it would have been out of place since Black Knight is a, a player that pops up in throughout throughout this issue. So why not right. have him, you know, have the first half of this story be in here? Uh, they they didn't, unfortunately. I fully expect that the that this issue of Avengers will be in Doctor Strange Volume Two, the Epic Volume Two, whenever that comes out. Right, right. I think that would make sense. Yeah, and I feel like they even could have maybe slotted it in without dropping anything else out. This is a fairly slight Epic collection, I think. It's under five hundred um, pages, and so. So yeah. bringing it up, uh, yeah, adding this issue wouldn't even bring it to 500. They could easily have done it, but they didn't for some reason. Yep. But in any case, this is still a great issue. And, and you don't yep. lose that much. No. Uh, you still can get drop right into the story. Um, there's some other awesome artistic touches in here. Like on page 93, that top right panel with Doctor Strange. I mean, you could, that panel, like if that was in the 90s, it would look out, not out of place. If that was in the 80s, like that is a really timeless panel there. That ages really well. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of really cool artistic touches here. And you have Doctor Strange with a mask, which is not a period he had for a very long time. I kind of <laughs> like it. Um, I mean, I, I like him with the goatee and the you know the hair and everything else but but it's a it's a fun touch it makes him look very spooky yeah this was just months before doctor strange was canceled it was canceled mm-hmm. along with x-men in the little uh, in the the cull that stanley did and i think this was a last ditch effort to try and make him a little bit more of a superhero mm. uh, you know to try and get the sales up a little bit so they gave him the mask they kind of changed a little bit about the way he dealt with things and and, and, but it didn't work. The title still got canceled. Yeah. And I think yeah. also, just like we saw in the X-Men, which was also on the verge of cancellation, we saw that in the last volume, that the X-Men crosses over with Avengers to hopefully get some more readers following X-Men. And I feel like they're kind of trying to do the same thing with Doctor Strange. It's like, pair him up with the with the Avengers so the kids are like, who is this Doctor Strange? I'm going to buy Doctor Strange. But then <laughs> right. it didn't work. And a little later in this epic collection, we'll have a, a story that crosses over into... Um, I think like Captain Marvel and Submariner, which are a couple other books who I don't think were necessarily doing great. Yeah. Um, so, so Avengers seems to be the book for that, where they they try to cross <laughs> it over with the underperforming titles. Yep. Well, why not? If you have a title title that's on fire, then help help uh, strengthen up some of the other ones. Yeah. I like the reintroduction of Black Knight here. Um, it's fun to see him. I like that he kind of functions as this peripheral character who comes in as needed to the roster. Um, I'm, I have a soft spot for Doctor Strange as well, so I always love love seeing him too. Um, and, and it's fun seeing the Avengers kind of battle something uh, mythical and supernatural, which happens very infrequently, um, especially especially late. I think Enchantress is... I'm trying to think if there's anyone else besides the Enchantress, but it's it, not a common thing for the Avengers to battle a supernatural force. So it's well, and Especially when Thor's not even on the team. Like, he's not even in this issue, and they're battling huge Asgardian monsters. Right, right. And so you have you have regular people, basically, against them. I mean, you have Black Knight, who has a sword. You have Hawkeye with a bow and arrow. You know, Black Panther, who has his, like, you know, herbs or whatever. They give him kind of elevated powers, but basically a guy. Yeah. Um, so most of the people do not have any kind of supernatural abilities to speak of. Well, and that's why I think the, the, the ending is what it is. 
because you didn't like the ending because it's basically Doctor Strange uses this crystal to cast this spell so that the villains appear uh, face to face at the moment when they're going to strike out at each other and then they kind of just explode. It's like matter versus <laughs> antimatter. Right. And there's right. just a big and, explosion. And the conclusion itself, I mean, it's okay. The Avengers don't have a lot of, you know, agency in how it ends necessarily. So that's not great. But the, the part that bothered me is John Buscema draws these incredible scenes throughout the issue of these giant hulking monsters that, you know, seem larger than life. And then on page 107 of this epic collection, it's just these tiny two little figures with their oh, hammers up. Yeah. It's like cartoonish. And then they just kind of pop and go away. I wanted to see like two monsters battle each other. Um, and then right. it, it didn't quite visually pay off for me. Okay. Wow. Yeah, you're right. It should have been a huge splash page or something like that. Uh, that should have been a little bit more dramatic. But I, I liked that they, they just kind of exploded at the end there because <laughs> yeah. through this whole thing, the you're right, they didn't have any agency. They tried and tried and tried and mm-hmm. nothing that they did was effective. They, they couldn't make any headway. And so they, there was literally nothing that they could do. Right. And, and so, which yeah. makes it kind of a cool Doctor, it's almost more of a Doctor Strange story because of that, which is if you read Doctor Strange comics, it's, you know, it's these kind of strange forces that are out of people's control and, and you have to, you know, either come to an understanding of something or make some kind of realization or yeah. it's, it's more about, you know, something you have to discover from within or the nature of things. So it, it in that way, it felt like a Doctor Strange story, which was cool. Mm-hmm. I also like the team-ups that they did. Hawkeye and Black Knight went off and fought yep. one of the guys, uh, fought Surtur. Mm-hmm. And then Vision and Black Panther teamed up to fight Ymir. And we got our first uh, little taste of Wakanda as well, yep. uh, which yep. we'll explore in the next issue. But it was nice to see them kind of break up into groups and have uh, uh, have pairings that we haven't seen yet and see how they work together. Uh, that, so that was really nice. So Black Panther and Vision seem to work really well together. Both of them are very observant characters, so they were able mm-hmm. to sense what each other was trying to accomplish and help build on that, even though it was not effective. Mm-hmm. And then Black Knight and Hawkeye, on the other hand, are two guys that are a little bit more ego-based, and so they were kind of um, giving each other a hard, hard time when the thing that they were trying wasn't working. It was a yeah. different relationship, and I thought that was a nice touch. Yes, and you have this you know, awesome images of Hawkeye standing on, standing on the back of a flying horse firing arrows into the <laughs> yeah. mouth of the monster. It's kind of <laughs> very cool visuals there. It is. Uh, and I really do like, to your point about how we get a view into Wakanda, how Roy Thomas in the past couple issues was building up this, that Black Panther was kind of not fulfilling his role necessarily as as the king of Wakanda and then we we're kind of sent to Wakanda and then it carries through naturally to the last issue that, that was a nice build that he did throughout yeah. his last and, and it's nice because he even though he's tired of the throne when the throne calls him he goes without right. a question right yeah exactly yep. he still has that duty yeah, and that so that kind of takes us into the next issue. So yeah. uh, Avengers sixty two, and is this uh, the first instance of the Mighty Avengers, or is that the past issue? No, yep. I think yeah, I think this is. Yep. So the title uh, or the uh, the cover, the kind of header says the Mighty Avengers, um, which uh, you know, which I like. It's a nice touch. I always like seeing when those those changes happen. And on the Avengers Epic Collections, uh, this one still has the kind of classic Avengers title on the front of this Epic Collection, but throughout the different years, different Avengers Epic Collections reflect those changes in, in that kind of title font and i always like seeing it well this particular logo doesn't stick around for very long it really like by the end of this epic collection it goes back to the original logo yes yes it so does it doesn't really make a whole lot of waves no i think it's by issue 70 
it's gone, I think is what it is. Yep. So it lasts until issue 70, and then we're back to back to the regular logo. Yeah. So slight little touch. But um, so the next issue uh, is the Monarch and the Man Ape, the Avengers. Uh, start out this issue. Uh, you know, again, it's this awesome splash page with the title written in snow. Um, the, the Avengers are abandoned by Doctor Strange. He just kind of left and <laughs> left them there on yep. the snowy mountain. Um, so Hawkeye has to light his arrows on fire for warmth. He's not too happy about that. But the Avengers uh, travel into the the wondrous technological kingdom of Wakanda, where there is a different man sitting on the throne who seeks to challenge and overthrow T'Challa the Black Panther. Um, and, and he kind of has the people of Wakanda are a little torn because he has been in America with all the Avengers and he's not been there with them in Wakanda. So they're, they're wondering a little bit if he truly is the man who should be ruling them and should be their king. And we have this, this long battle between, um, between T'Challa, uh, and what was the name of the Mbaku? Mbaku. Yes. Um, and, and I love the Black Panther movie and I love that character. And I kept, I kept all this dialogue I read in that actor's voice. Totally. That actor's incredible. Um, so that, I think, kind of added to the, the experience here. But um, overall, I think this is a really fun issue. Uh, it's kind of a, a one and done. And and it's a, it's a, I think it's just really strong. It continues a strong run of issues here. Um, this is really the, the only the second time that we have seen uh, Wakanda. If you're if you're reading through chronologically the Marvel Universe, we mm-hmm. saw Wakanda when we when Black Panther first appeared in Fantastic Four. There was a brief little look into Wakanda when when Black Panther had his little uh, several issue story arc in Captain America. Um, but they really didn't touch on that at all. But this one here is our our second solid look at what goes on in Wakanda. And Roy Thomas does a lot of world building and a lot of mm-hmm. defining of just the way things work. And so this whole tribal ritual of uh, of combat in order to, to declare who gets to be on the throne is set in this issue. And that's a major plot point for the movie. Like that's kind of what the movie's all yes. about. And it's defined and um, created here by Roy in this issue, which I thought was very, very cool. I didn't realize that it, that that would come here. Right, and and it has that awesome dynamic, that Jack Kirby idea of the this amazing technological kingdom that's the most advanced technological society on the planet, but it's in the middle of the jungle, um, and it's just this visually that's something that's very um, unusual and is really cool to see. So on page one twelve, they're you know diving down into this dense jungle. And then you have the amazing, it is kind of Kirby tech via John Buscema style, you know, kind of in the foreground there. It's, it's really impactful. And I've always loved that idea. It's always so cool. And it's not just Black Panther who's a smarty pants. Like it seems Mm -hmm. like all Wakandans have a heightened sense of intelligence because uh, Black Panther goes into his own throne room and M'Baku has already uh, changed it so that it's filled, filled with traps like the floor opens up underneath it and he's got the the that whatever the the table that he's trapped to that the the, the panther is going to crush him and like there's right. all of this technological stuff that Mbaku Mbaku was able to change uh, yes. while Black Panther was away right it's not like T'Challa is just like a Reed Richards character where nobody else really can do any of this stuff it seems like it's just a generally vastly advanced society and everybody has this tight technological mastery or at least a lot of people right because and and it's part of their culture is that they like I don't know if this is just a socialist society or whatever but they they all share this the well it's not because it's there's still a hierarchy and a monarchy but yeah um, they, they share their technology and I think the information is freely accessible 
accessible to anyone who wants it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And you have the the awesome. And I actually think the conclusion of this battle, I, I it's it's similar in a lot of ways to the conclusion of the movie where they're on kind of this pillar surrounded by chaos. I think this is more effective than the conclusion of the movie, um, right. where it's this balancing act, and it looks way more precarious and dangerous, um, honestly, than, than the film did. Um, so I think this is is pretty impactful there. That sequence where they're above the nuclear fire um, in the middle of the technology. I, I did have a note about the ending here. I, I think there might be a mismatch between the dialogue and the art. I was wondering what you thought about this. So if you go to page 128, okay. the Avengers wake up and they're inside of some kind, they're inside of something. This is the stone thing. Yeah. And, um, and, and you had seen that Black Panther is on this table and there's this giant path, Panther statue kind of towering above him. And and Mbaku's trying to push that onto him to crush him and kill him. But then the Avengers wake up, Vision punches a wall, and then suddenly oh. the statue collapses onto um uh onto Mbaku and it, it crushes him and, and seems to kill him. And then there's dialogue that says, um, Vision says on page 129, we saw T'Challa, there was nothing we could do. And it seems almost like the implication is that Mbaku killed himself on accident because he pushed the statue over and it crumbled onto him. But yeah. I thought the visuals were saying that the Vision unwittingly caused the statue to, like they were trapped inside the statue or something. I, I just didn't know if you got the same impression there. It was a little No, I, uh, I didn't get that, but I can totally see how that could have been the case based on mm-hmm. just the artwork uh yeah because yeah. the the punch that vision does it is directly correlating to the fall of the panther statue um right and i wonder if roy saw that and didn't want vision to be a killer and right. so even even accidental killer right but it's more poetic it's, it's, it's more poetic yeah. if mbaku uh is undone by himself exactly exactly yeah i wonder if it's like a comics code fear thing too uh, but it seems a little too coincidental that the vision would knock over a giant stack of rocks and then somewhere else like the next panel a different stack of rocks crushes the villain yeah um, so I, I think i think you're right though that maybe he didn't want the vision even accidentally to be killing somebody well that, w- that was a good issue and i uh th- these all have been solid i don't think that there's been an issue so far in this volume that i haven't liked in fact that's gonna remain the, the case through the first half <laughs> of this book but the next issue right. here uh is called in this corner goliath this is avengers number 63 um in this one nick fury calls up the avengers and asks them to look into black widow's disappearance Mm-hmm. And they they go off and they leave Hawkeye at home saying that he's too close to the case, which is dumb because so many times they're like, no, 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 this is personal. So you need to go and do this by yourself. Exactly. <laughs> I had the exact same note. <laughs> it's the complete opposite this time. Avengers policy has always been we had no matter how bad of an idea it is, we have to respect somebody's personal vendettas and stay out of their way. And here it's completely this is probably the correct decision. But yeah. it's the exact opposite of how they've always been. <laughs> <laughs> it's so strange. Yep. Uh, but in the uh, end, he, uh, Black Widow ends up contacting Hawkeye herself, saying that um, Nick Fury's not who he seems. They're on a wild goose chase. Here's where I really am. And so mm-hmm. Hawkeye, disillusioned with his own archer abilities, decides to take um, Hank's growth 
formula. And so he, because Hank's not using it, he's not growing anymore because he's Yellow Jacket. Um, Hawkeye decides to become Goliath. And yep. this is a turning point. And it's actually, nowadays, it's just kind of a blip in Hawkeye's long story. But uh, for a long time, he decided to just have these giant powers and be a more of a superhero rather than just a person with a skill. Right. And I, I read that um, that Roy Thomas didn't like the whole trick arrow thing. Um, so he wanted to get away from that. And I, and it, once I read that, I, I don't think they've not been doing too many like trick arrow comments. I like he'll use his blast arrow basically, but he doesn't have too many gimmicky arrows that he's been using. Except for this issue has the gimmickiest of all gimmicky <laughs> arrows right. where it's he fires a magnet arrow because of the their jet <laughs> plane is out of control so yes. he, I mean, and that's when his bow breaks, but the vision uses that arrow to attach it to the metal rooftop and that the arrow stops the plane from flying off the, off of the roof. Like, right. And it looks ridiculous on page yeah. 135. There's, it's so cartoonish with that, the cable <laughs> attached to it and it's bending it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So aside from that though, but yeah. generally he hasn't been using too many, too many of his trick arrows as much as Stan Lee would use them or even ro- early thomas issues right right yeah <laughs> and and on this issue we do have a we have a, art, a different artist so we have gene colon um as the artist um i am a big gene colon fan yep. it took me a little while i think to to come around to him because his characters are kind of these weird kind of clay strange figures the faces look odd sometimes um but i, I think and i don't think this is the best example of him gene colon really also depends on your inker and i don't think there's enough necessarily shadow and like black used in these issues in this issue um it still is really cool though and the angles he chooses to use and the poses are just very different he uses these giant panels and I, I find his art really compelling oh i think it's fantastic this is this is really really great stuff and yes. if you it, it's a good follow-up for john Busema because john is also building up to being a very bombastic penciler as well and and gene just does it naturally all like you said his his choices for his angles he almost never shows the camera just from a straight on view it's always from below or from above or from behind or from wherever uh it's almost the opposite of jack kirby who is very strict in his in the way he places his camera right yeah his gene called the gene colon issues of dr strange are some of my favorite comics those are so cool and you get you get touches of that here um you know like when you see you know um i think it's on page let me see if i can find it yeah so on page 145 where you have the mad thinker and um mm-hmm. uh what's his name eggman the, the, I can't yeah. egg no the puppet master oh that's right yeah or, and there's oh no no uh, he's I got glasses so that's the eggman yeah Okay, yeah, and there's st- there's these shadowy faces staring down at the screen, um, and then on page uh, one thirty seven, going back where you have these kind of wispy, smoky things happening at the bottom of the page, and this awesome image of of uh, giant growing there. It's yeah, I I really like the experimental things he does with panel layouts. In the previous issue, when the Avengers were sitting down for a meal with Black Panther in Wakanda, Hawkeye made some sort of off comment to himself saying, I just, I wonder where Black Widow is. And it says in in an editorial box, read Captain Marvel number 12. Mm -hmm. And then in this issue, we find out that she's been captured, but it doesn't reference anything about Captain Marvel number 12. And if you go and read Captain Marvel number 12, it does tell the story of how she becomes captured. 
but I don't know why they wouldn't mention it here at all. Yeah, and, and this is a part of a kind of a strange crossover that is, it's a kind of, those, those three supervillains we named, so Puppet Master, Eggman, and Mad Thinker, which is, it seems like they picked just three random villains, um, kind of B-list or C-list villains, and they teamed them up and they crossed them over from Captain Marvel, Submariner, and the Avengers. But they don't sell it that hard as a crossover. I, maybe they just didn't know how to do that effectively yet, um, but these three villains kind of plots bridged those three different titles. Yeah, uh, and Gene Colan was doing Submariner at the time, so he's got kind of double duty uh, mm-hmm. with the Puppet Master story. Now, yep. they, it's the problem here is that um, all three of them don't really have a whole lot of purpose. The the really the right. only thing that they do other than kidnapping Black Widow is activate an android. Yep. And so half of this issue is a lot of um, arguing or, you know, Hawkeye getting to the point where he's Goliath. And then the other half of this issue, in fact, it's less than half of this issue, is a giant fight between Goliath and this uh, this huge android. Um, not a-, a whole lot actually happens. The only saving grace, I think, for this issue is the fact that Gene Colan is just a really, really entertaining uh, storyteller. <laughs> yep. Yep, he can make anything look just cool and epic and, and compelling. Um, I, I do like that that battle at the end, and it's on a, you know by a fairground, so there's a, a giant Ferris wheel. Yep. It's kind of a classic monster fight um, scene. Um, you, know, uh, yeah. you really feel you just you know, Hawkeye just keeps taking punch after punch after punch, and you can feel the impact of all those blows of the giant Gene Colan fists. It's, this is the giant battle that you wanted with the fire and ice story, right? Exactly. Yep. So this, yeah, this kind of epic battle sequence to conclude the issue is, is exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. um, and and also the only reason that they activated the android to go after Hawkeye is because they thought he was Hank Pym, and Eggman has this longstanding hatred of him so there's there's a confusion about who that guy really is and i think that's why they target him so much right and that's a plot that's going to carry forward through the next few issues as well um puppet master and and the thinker just drop out of the story at this point they are no longer i don't know they (laughs) it, it makes it seem like they are a trio that's working together but we never see them again and we never find out why we never see them again uh and it's just eggman moving forward through the next issue yes yeah, that plot point doesn't get developed very thoroughly. No. <laughs> uh, but in the next issue, which is Avengers number 64, uh, which is like a death ray from the sky. And I, lo- I love that they start with this weird nursery rhyme thing. So it says, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are up above the world so high, like a death ray from the sky. And it has this amazing splash, 154, 155 of the epic collection of the city, just a city being obliterated and there's fire and, and the title is giant and the the credits are on signs that are off to the side of the scene and and it's again gene colon and the city just looks like it's melting in on itself he does a great job of selling this and the coloring is fantastic as well and really sells it too yeah it is just absolutely fantastic there's just (laughs) it's so good um and i think that if you um if you if you were buying this off the rack and you open it up it's so, so effective because you mm-hmm. would see, you would open up the cover, and you would just see this one one page, and this big mm-hmm. this big thing blasts, and then you and I mean it's the same in the epic collection as well because you have to turn the page, and then you get the the explosion just right there in your face. It's so right. effective. 
Um, but just as a kid picking it up off the rack, seeing that, I think your mind would be blown. Exactly. And I think Roy Thomas does a really good job of catering to, to Gene Colan. I mean, and with Marvel Method, I, you know, you never know exactly how much of this is the artist's choice versus the writer's choice. But the the style definitely adapts here to Gene Colan, I feel like. And that kind of epic splash with the laser beam flying, coming down from space, that's tailor-made for someone like Gene Colan to sell it. Yeah. Um, and, and in this issue, so in this issue, we have the Eggman has this satellite floating over the earth um, and the Avengers have to figure out a way to save the earth and deactivate this weapon up in space. So kind of a, kind of a standard <laughs> superhero plot. Um, but, but it involves some really epic travel up into space and you do have the dramatic uh, introduction of uh, Hawkeye's brother uh, or now Goliath's brother um, who is a career criminal. And there's a lot of dramatic reveals involved with that. So they're wondering why this guy knows Hawkeye, why Hawkeye knows him so much and why he's so emotional about it. Um, and the big reveal at the end of this issue is that uh, Barney Barton was his brother. Um, and so a lot of a lot of pathos. And I've been mentioning this whole time uh, through the last few uh, episodes that we still don't have a real name for, for Hawkeye. That he's just been right. going by Hawkeye and everyone just calls him Hawkeye. And we finally get to find out in this issue that his name is Clint. Clint Barton. Yep. Yep. Even though he shows his face, nobody just just nobody knows who he is. Right. So, um, yeah. Yep. So he just hopes, I guess, no one recognizes him. Yeah. <laughs> walking around the city or anything. Um, Very cool uh, artwork again from Gene. They, not, not just the splash page, but if you go through and just look at how big his panels are, and mm-hmm. he is a he's a good proponent of using minimalist ideas. Um, in the sense that his backgrounds are sparse, they just they just convey enough at, uh, to tell you what you need to know, mm-hmm. but they still look busy and full. It's not like he like even his black his blank panels. Uh, he adds certain textures and certain sh- shades or or something in order to make them look full. And you, right. if you flip to any issue that um, that Barry Windsor Smith does in this issue, it's almost the complete opposite. His his story, his issues, his backgrounds, and his panels are so crowded and so busy that it adds yeah. a very different chaotic feel. But Gene Colan really knows how to make it uh, comfortable. Yeah, I think he's a real pro. Like if you look at, I love those Barry Smith issues. I I have a, such a big soft spot for those, but. I mean, this is very young Barry Smith. Like, yeah. and it looks amateurish and raw, and like he's just packing every idea he ever had in his brain into the issues, which makes for an amazing experience. But it is like weird and sloppy and clunky, um, which is part of the fun. But Gene Colan is just—I mean, like on page one sixty-five, that page in particular is just so beautiful. The you know the rocket blasting off away from the Earth. The he chose to put the characters all leaning backwards and down, um, which looks yeah. so compelling and really gives you the impact of like you're blasting off into space um you know black panther in the foreground lost behind and then just this the space station floating in the distance in that final panel and it's just and also you have the, the beautiful like tall panel and then it builds up to the right corner and then drops down to the the final light blue panel it's just a it's really great composition it is there. it's really really good yeah, it's fantastic. So this is just a, it was a fun read. Now, uh, again, minimal story. Most mm-hmm. of the issue is just talking about about Clint, I mean, about um, Barney and his past. And he, mm-hmm. he's telling a story. We They don't even really blast off to outer space until page 12. Right. And then in the last page, there's even a double page spread 
to uh, to to fill up the end of the story. So it's like there's not a whole lot to it. But just like last time, Gene Colan makes it so fun to just look at, and it's so compelling to 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 experience that it doesn't matter that there's minimal story. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of comics today are kind of like that as well. It's like they right. it's it's minimal story, but the artwork is fun. So it, and I think yeah, right. I think that I think that one of the reasons why I would recommend this, even though it's you know, not the kind of marquee Avengers in this Epic collection as much. I do think that this is a pretty good jumping on point for, for Avengers Epic collections because of that storytelling sensibility. These yeah. are quick reads. That's a huge difference from even the last Epic collection yes. where the stories were very dense and it would take me, it took me a lot less time to read the issues to prep for this podcast episode than it did for some of the previous ones. Like some true. of those Don Heck issues took a long time to read. Um, and here these issues just fly by when you're reading uh, I think that Roy also is just, and I don't know if this is because he's writing multiple books at once or what, but mm -hmm. he he's not using as much dialogue. But I think his plots are just purposely more simple to give right. room for some more character development and uh, and and leave room for the artist to to be able to tell a story that's not going to be so dense. Yeah, I, and I imagine that he gives the artist lots of leeway. I mean, you can even tell, like you said, the difference between these Gene Colan issues and then the Barry Smith issues following is just radically different. Like the number of panels per page yep. is just radically different. So you can tell the artist is having a lot of impact on how the pacing works in these stories. Yeah. Oh, hey, are you ready to move on to issue number 65? Yeah. This one's called Mightier Than the Sword. The Swordsman Returns. This is another issue with Eggman. This time he hires a swordsman to bring him Giant Man. He really, or, or Goliath. He really wants to get his revenge on, on Hank Pym. And he says, and while you're there, you might as well just get your revenge on Hawkeye. Just go ahead and do that. Neither of them know that Giant Man, or I mean Goliath and Hawkeye are the same person at this time. So that adds a little bit of confusion. Um, mm -hmm. But this is kind of the third issue in a row that is a kind of Hawkeye's, a lot of Hawkeye's character development derives from this. The first issue was his, um, was him being dissatisfied with his purpose and so giving himself a new purpose. And then the last mm -hmm. one was, was coming to terms with his, his criminal past yep. um, and dealing with, because both of the Barney, I mean, um, uh, both of the Barton brothers get a redemption story uh, and we get to see the parallels there because uh, they were both criminals and Clint becomes a hero and becomes an Avenger. Barney becomes a hero, but he dies and doesn't get the recognition to go along with it. And so right. I think through that, Hawkeye uh, realizes his position and realizes his worth on the team. And now this issue is the third part where he now has to gets to face the person who made him a criminal in the first place. So I just right. love the, the, these are all standalone stories, but as a trilogy, it's really, really good for Hawkeye's character development. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and it also makes the swordsman a, like a very interesting villain. Um, he's not always my favorite villain when he's, he's shown up in previous Avenger stories, but because here Roy adds so much character and, and, and makes him so sinister being this kind of evil mentor to Hawkeye uh, where he, you know, he, he trained Hawkeye, recognized that he had a lot of talent. So trained him as, as an archer and then Hawkeye caught him stealing money from the circus um, he you know he said oh you can get in on this but Hawkeye refused and then he tried to tried to kill him silence him um, and then so it, so it develops this kind of sinister evil mentor uh, aspect to the swordsman which makes it really compelling yeah 
And I love the fact that Swordsman gets into the Avengers Mansion because he was an Avenger at times, so they didn't <laughs> yep. like change the alarm codes or something. Oh no, they did. They <laughs> right. did change the alarm codes, which is why he tripped the alarm. <laughs> but he is still able yeah, to get only in. Only one of them, though. But he still had the key. That, uh, like when somebody leaves my office and I don't have a very high tech job, we like have to like change the change locks. Their, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like their their ID card won't work anymore, and I just have like a job in academia. So like the Avengers need to need to step up on that. They need an IT guy or something. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Their IT guy, Iron Man, doesn't seem to be around very much. No. <laughs> no, he needs to stop by a little more often. Uh, again, with the Gene Colon art just being fantastic. I, I really loved the transformation on page 189, uh, where Clint went from being the you know, Goliath down to his smaller self. It looks like a Hulk transformation, and, and I really love that. The, mm-hmm. uh, the background figures being faded out and showing him collapsing in pain. And how about that double page spread at the beginning with the red background? Yeah, that is wild. It's so strange to see something like that um, because it, there's so much um, empty space on there, and using these these kind of stair step pa- tall panels um, to show the progression. Uh, yeah, I remember when I saw that for the first time as a kid in the essentials, even in you know black and white, it was it's so striking. Um, you don't see anything like that at this time in comics, really. And again, I think this is a time, you know, with Steranko being at the, you know, being at Marvel, um, bringing in some of those pop art influences. Colin is kind of given free reign here to do what he wants. You're seeing the art form get pushed in a lot of cool directions. Well, and I was, I was saying that there's a lot of Eisner influence. Like this is something that Will Eisner would have done in his uh, spirit, like absolutely with the negative right. space and such. So I think. And just with the comedy, with yes. the drunk guy throwing away his bottle based on what he just saw, like that's that's such a Will yep. Eisner kind of a joke as well. Right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, but other than the, that, I mean, we could talk more about the just the, the character development of Hawkeye, but that's kind of what this issue is all about. Um, and mm-hmm. it, again, minimal plot in order to just uh, talk more about the characters. Yep. Yeah, and and you have that kind of final dramatic page with the the jagged panels all kind of angling angling in the final panel with Hawkeye holding the villains in his hands, um, you know, talking about you know that what matters is I've got the guy who caused my brother's death. So you have a nice resolution to that as well. Just really really solid issue. I do think that it would have been very hard to put together a bow and arrow out of a belt and like a string and a piece of pipe that quickly. But I'll let that slide. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, his archery came back came back in the end to. Uh, save save swordsman and uh, kind of get a nice clean ending to the story um yeah yeah well let's keep on going to the next one then all right so the next issue avengers 66 uh which is um betrayal Uh, this issue features the art of barry smith as he uh as he calls himself here and go on to you know call himself barry windsor smith very very famous uh comic artist uh so in this issue uh, we have thor start out the issue by swinging his hammer at this giant hunk of metal all the other avengers similarly try their powers at this hunk of metal and this is the first appearance of adamantium this mysterious uh metal that the military is studying um because it's it's the most powerful material on earth it mm-hmm. seems like yeah we also have the vision who is experiencing strange thoughts invasive thoughts and he kind of floats out um out into space and away from the team and disappears um and he's being compelled by forces that he doesn't understand uh there's there's all kinds of strange things going on he attacks a shield agent uh and we have the very dramatic return of ultron so now he's in a new form ultron six um and the avengers are going to have to face uh this this renewed threat of their uh robotic nemesis 
And Hawkeye gets a slightly different costume now. He's colored red instead of blue. And I forgot right. to mention this earlier. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny when, uh, when, when Hawkeye becomes Goliath and Jan says, well, you know, I have this new costume. I, I made it as kind of a sorry for tricking you and uh, tricking Hank into marrying me, but I don't need it anymore. So here you can have it, Hawkeye. <laughs> and it's like this sexy revealing <laughs> Goliath <Very> costume. <laughs> yeah, it's like leather straps everywhere. Obviously and, yeah. meant for her husband, but now Hawkeye gets to wear it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a little unusual. I, I do like this costume. It kind of looks cool, but it's uh, it's a little weird. If I saw somebody walking down the street with this, it would turn heads, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not in downtown Vancouver, it wouldn't. It would be fairly normal. But oh, just yeah, just Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun people there. Yep. <laughs> Uh, okay, so yeah, speaking of Barry Smith's art here, I don't know if I have a specific example, but just yeah. the the amount of detail he puts into the backgrounds of the machinery, the the characters are all always kind of clustered together. He's really heavy, and I I don't think this is because of Sid Shores because we've seen him do this with Bisema, but uh, there's a lot of heavy shadows all throughout right. this, really thick uh, folds and clothes, and and the like the shadows or the shine on Iron Man's armor and such. Um, so he puts a lot of details in here, and you can tell that he's really, really mimicking Jack Kirby, like big time. He's trying to. Yep, yep. Human beings are not shaped this way unless Jack Kirby is drawing them. Usually, like even on page uh, like uh, two eleven, the way when in the middle panel where Wasp is lying on the floor like that, like that is a Jack Kirby shaped character. Like the the way he does foreshortening is Jack Kirby a hundred percent. The facial expressions, everything is Kirby. Even the way he does the the armor squiggles on iron man's legs that's 100 percent kirby but yep. but the reason why i love this so much is yes it is is aping kirby style a lot but it, he also is doing so many things kirby would never do yes like the number of panels he packs into a page like on page 200 where he has all these like the top of the page is four across and then three and they're so tiny i mean this reminds me this reminds me of like tom Scholey, where he does like these kirby panels but it's in these tiny tiny little sample sizes and even <laughs> right. more modern um, and then he does things like on page 205 with the, the clock counting 45 yep. Yep. or 44, 45, 46, and all these tiny little snapshot panels. More or of on that Steranko influence for sure. Right. A hundred percent. And on page 208 um, with the vision that did you ever walk through something that isn't? I, Kirby wouldn't do something weird like that. That's I, so it, weird. There's a lot of weird things, but that is not a Kirby touch. So I like that he's basically taking, you know, like he said, the Steranko, the Kirby, his own ideas, and just jamming them all together. And it's like every cool idea he ever had, he's trying to pack into this comic. Which, And, and I think the Sid Shores inks are great for this, because he's a guy who got his chops in the Golden Age, so everything has kind of a really heavy, powerful edge to it. Um, and I think that really makes the art really work well here. Oh, yeah, this is Sid Shores. I thought it was Klein. No, that's the next issue. Um, right. Yeah, the next issue has more of the details that I wanted to bring up with the background and such so maybe that's a, it's an inker thing but yeah uh, so other things that he, kirby would never do on page 210 is those um those <laughs> inlay panels that are uh, monochromatic right uh, right you would not which you, i love you'd get a big a big splash page like this where the characters would guide you through how to read the page but you wouldn't get those little inset panels um mm -hmm. also on page 212 with the vertical blue lines through that one right. panel there that's a very jim steranko thing to do he right. loved taking... you have the kirby crackle there though <laughs> you do yes that's true <laughs> <laughs> but no but you're 100 percent right that's not that kind of touches kirby would not be doing something like that yeah 
but but you think of like the splash page at the very beginning with with Thor. That's a almost I'm sure it's lifted directly from Kirby at some yeah. point, and then the Ultron page at the very end where he's bursting out of the ground. So Kirby, uh, yep. and so yeah, we get uh, some really really interesting stuff. And I think that he tries to cram in all these ideas. And I think he crammed in too many ideas. I, <laughs> it's such a frenetic kind of a weird all over the place experience. Right. It almost seems like a fan comic of the Avengers or something. I, I <laughs> yeah. love it so much. This is one of my favorite Avengers issues ever, but I also a hundred percent acknowledge how weird and sloppy it is too. There's, <laughs> there's definite weaknesses here, but it's a, such a fun story. And, yeah. you know, and then Ultron makes his appearance at the end, which bleeds over into the, the next issue. Obviously. I was surprised that it took so long to get the story going again. This is just a product of the time now, uh, but there's 10 whole pages of trying to smash adamantium. That's half the issue. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, it's just punching. And also, <laughs> I love how after all, like Thor and Iron Man tried it, like Clint is just like, I'm just going to punch it, though, because I'm a big guy. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> just such arrogance, which is, I guess, fitting for, for Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. But he, and he almost breaks his hand trying to punch the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's keep going to the second part of this story of this three-parter here uh mighty avengers number 67 we stand at armageddon and this one again barry smith and this yeah like i mentioned before george klein is on inks and i think you can see even more kirby Mm -hmm. maybe almost like a chick stone inked kirby right with that heavy outside line yep the heavy lines uh, and then if you just turn to the the very first page, number 218, or the, the second page of this issue, I guess, and that page with Goliath, like you can see so much in the background. It's an incredibly yep. muddled, oh, yeah. muddled page because Ultron should really stand out against the background and against the other characters, but he really doesn't because there's just no. so much going on. Yep. It's kind of hard to know where your eye is supposed to. I mean, your your, your eye just goes to, to Goliath, but I don't know if it's really supposed to. And Ultron, your eye never quite fixes there unless you <laughs> unless you make it. Yep. The, the, it doesn't naturally flow. Then if you pay, turn to page 222 and 223, just these pages with so much machinery <laughs> in the background. There's just so much going on. And uh, I do really like, though, just the sense of um, the sense of uh, energy that we get from mm-hmm. Barry Smith. So different yep. from Gene Colan, who is way more calming in his presentation. But just this page on 223, where Ultron's on his whatever, his like super motorcycle in the sky, and <laughs> yeah. he, he's like flying upside down. And then the next panel, he's like in your face upside down. Yep. It's, and yep. it's just like... Holy cow, just things are flying at you left and right, right. really crazy. And then the next page, like Hank is holding onto it, like underneath it. And yeah. then the next page, he flies out of the building. You can't even really tell what's happening. And then he's, <laughs> and then he's falling. Like, I don't even really understand how he's falling. Like he's falling through the wall or into the city or something. Like on page 226, you just kind of lose the plot a little bit of what, of exactly who's going where and why. And what, but it's just fun and chaos. And so that's 10, the first 10 issues before you get a breather are just, just packed with action and violence and excitement yeah it's it's great it is it is uh, it's a lot of fun uh so different than what we see in the rest of this book there are some awkward bits though like i find that um he never puts goliath's head quite on straight if you go to page uh, 230 (laughs) uh yeah in the bottom corner oh yeah it's just not quite on on straight and it's like that happens quite often but things i do like on the same page on 230 the very first panel 
he draws Ultron with such a wide mouth with these gaping holes, like where the jaw mm -hmm. comes. Yeah. And when you're looking at him from behind, you can see the inside of, of Ultron's mouth, like the, the inside of his front teeth and stuff. Yeah. It's very, very cool just the way he draws in there. I like that. And like the circuitry in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And then the net and like two panels down, you have like his mouth is full of curvy crackle. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. It's really cool decisions um, that are being made here. And again, very unorthodox, very strange stuff. And in this issue, you have a lot of um, kind of character development for the vision. So the vision was, there was some kind of implanted command in vision's head to, um, to recreate Ultron. And that's how Ultron came back. Cause he used the, the, uh, the, um, was it adamantium? I always get my Marvel yep. medals confused. Yeah. Um, to, he, he used the adamantium to recreate Ultron in this indestructible form. And immediately he, you know, he regrets this. He didn't want to do this. It was out of his control. Uh, and so now you have him marching back to fight Ultron and to kind of meet his maker um, and, and to destroy him and kind of redeem himself. Um, and, and you have on page 231 this epic scene of Ultron with his hands in the air, the atomic fire, and it's all the Kirby crackle and Vision dramatically stepping into frame. <laughs> yep. um, the one thing I don't get in these issues, I don't understand. Ultron has this power where he can turn into ionic energy or something like that. I don't quite understand what how that works or, or what that means, but it's like, somehow he just turns into energy occasionally. Yeah. Leap, my dazzling sparks of atomic fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if Roy Thomas like because he I mean earlier in this comic he was using this like really subtle character development. Uh, subtle for a Silver Age comic. And then, you know, like poetic, you know, poetic language and and these kind of gentle panel progressions. And I wonder if he just got this comic back from Barry Smith and he was like, all right, I really got to go go all out, go gonzo on this. So he's saying <laughs> like that leap my dazzling sparks <laughs> and i think it fits the energy of the comic yeah i think that I, i'm also glad that they got rid of the flying car to have ultron yes. permanently fused into this vehicle like being half half flying <laughs> ship was a disservice to his frightening nature uh yeah. in the next issue he has his legs back and he's way way better right it's a better character design yeah, yeah it's a little it's fun but it would get tiresome especially if he had to like ever monologue and just like stand there and, like, <laughs> well and that's like does he fly up uh if he's inside a building the building has to be big enough to uh to, to <laughs> support his yeah. his flying machine yeah i don't exactly. know it, it just you lose something with having him tied down like that so right yeah well last issue of our episode today that's right yeah on to avengers 68 the last one was called We Stand at Armageddon, and this one's called And We Battle for the Earth. Kind of a two-part title there. And the the Avengers are going to lure Ultron to the UN because there's going to be a big announcement by this, this doctor guy uh, who apparently can build robots. Now, here's something I don't understand. Ultron is very, very intelligent and can build all this great machinery, but he doesn't know how to build himself. Mm -hmm. He needs to get the knowledge of this doctor, this, this scientist, in order to build more Ultron robots. He can't figure it out himself. But he could rebuild. I mean, I guess Vision rebuilt him. Mm -hmm. I, mean, so I guess we assume that Vision also built the flying machine that he's in. 
or did yeah, Vision or so. Ultron re- rebuilds himself all the time? That's kind of the thing about Ultron is that he's constantly rebuilding himself into a bigger, better thing, but he doesn't know right. how to at this point. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that entirely makes sense because there's that device, the molecule rearranger. So maybe Vision had that used that molecule rearranger, and then when his his brainwashing kind of wore off, he discarded that. But Ultron didn't know that because he was being rebuilt. That's my that's my. But didn't they say it's part of his like I don't know. I think it's built into his car thing, the molecule rearranger. I think so, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that all works, but but we always have anytime you can get superheroes going to the United Nations, it's a good classic age, classic <laughs> silver age uh, <laughs> comic book trope. That's right. Um, yep. But it was great. Last so time we yeah, there, I think it was Magneto. <laughs> Ultron re- realizes that it is a trap and decides to purposely go anyway because he he knowing that he, it's a trap, he'll have the element of surprise. And he certainly does, but the Avengers yep. are still able to take him out anyway uh, through a, a special vibranium shield that they get from Black Panther, who I didn't even realize Black Panther hasn't even been in the last couple of issues. Right. Yeah, I don't know if there was a note about that, but I had the same reaction when they said, oh, Black Panther's not here right now. I had not kind of conceptualized that. Um, I had to flip back I to see it's... where he had left, he, but he stayed back in Wakanda when everybody uh, everybody else left. Right. I think it's just because the issues have been so fast paced and have been so, um, you mm-hmm. know, kind of the, the they've been so focused either on, you know, or on, uh, you know, specific characters like Hawkeye um, and then the Barry Windsor Smith issues didn't give you much breathing room. So I, I just really honestly didn't notice it. This issue was a good end to this three part story. I, I really enjoyed it. it. This is Sal Buscema on art this time. So the thing yep. with Sal is that uh, he's not nearly as adventurous I think, as the previous people we've seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So his stuff, while it's still nice and exciting and stuff, does it feels a little older, older style, uh, a little bit more reserved. He doesn't often play with the the high or low angles like Gene Colan does. His stuff isn't as fast-paced and frenetic as Barry Windsor Smith. And it's also just not as well... Um, well, what is the word? Like he's, it's just not as yeah. There's well not. A, I mean, he, I, I don't think Sema. he's as um, the the technical um, complexity is not there yeah. like it is with with his brother or you know with some of the other artists we've been seeing. Um, but but I he the reputation and I'm sure I don't know how much of this is true and how much of this is you know kind of legend is that he he's the Buscema who loves comic books and just has like a passion for it. Yeah. And his brother John, like he's a really talented artist, but could kind of take or leave superhero comics. And I think that love for superhero comics does come through. I do yeah. really like Sal Buscema art, and and you're right. It's you know it, it's it, it's not as dynamic. He doesn't necessarily always do the most interesting things pose wise, but it's really clean, really effective, solid storytelling. And there are some nice touches, like on page two fifty four. That's a great page, like with with Ultron like opening up his machinery. The coloring also really sells this page with the machine going around. Yeah, um, the, the guy's head. Um, yeah, it's there's really fun touches here. I also really like the splash page on 248, page 11 in the issue where Ultron's bursting out of the ground and the Doctor is kind yep. of being thrown to the side. Now, I I love finding artwork that adheres to uh, the golden ratio. Do you know what that is? The golden ratio? Yes, yeah, like that swirl thing. And the, it's a swirl yeah. thing, yeah. You find it in nature and like uh, snail shells or whatever, that kind of thing. But you yeah. lay that over top of, you, you turn it um, you turn it 90 degrees and then lay it over top of this page and the, the composition of this page perfectly matches up with the golden ratio. Uh, oh, really? Drawing your eye down to, um, to the doctor's hand, uh, his right mm. hand that is outstretched. It's really, really quite good. Um, and, and when I saw that, I'm like, oh yeah, this could totally fit. And so I, 
posted that I think on my maybe on the site years ago, but I, I should do that again more recently so people can check this out because it's uh, it's very very cool. That's awesome. I did think overall in this issue the coloring was really effective. I mean, with these issues, you know, the, there's not a coloring credit on the on the title page or anything, so it it could be the same colors as previous issues. But I really noticed it on this page. You know, even on the facing page to that splash, um, there's that awesome panel in the bottom right with Ultron with a purple background. He's shaded so darkly, and there's the red curvy crackle yeah. and black that his mouth it looks so good and sinister and just you know and, and also on that page i called out earlier on page 254 you had those dark rich colors the the color throughout this issue is really good at selling selling all the action i'm surprised we're almost in the 70s and we don't have color credits yet when does that actually happen it's not in this issue in this volume no i don't think i'm gonna look at the beginning of the issue yeah we don't even have any um you know the epic collection doesn't credit colors even they, they don't know yeah exactly yep wow okay well i think that's it that's all i have to say about this story here um i love that this this first half that the issues that we've chosen to talk about today starts with the vision and ends with this massive battle with ultron it's like it comes kind of full circle and it's this one big story and uh, that's the way Roy is writing now. And um, I mm-hmm. welcome the next volume uh, or the rest of this epic collection to see where he's going to go next. Right. And and in the next episode, uh, our next podcast episode, we're going to be getting into a Kang story. And Kang is probably my favorite Avengers villain. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. And the Squadron Sinister. I'm really excited to, to check out their first appearance as well. Yeah. Okay, well, that does it for our episode today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, You can check us out on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Epic Marvel Podcast. Join my Facebook group if you search for Epic Collections on Facebook. Chris, you have um, an Instagram account or a Twitter account. What is that? Yep, on Twitter, Chris J. Russ. I just basically post a bunch of (laughs) issue uh, photos of old comics. And on my Instagram, I am uh, drawing an indie comic, Eddie the Office Goblin. I just finished the uh all the pages for the first issue of that so that's chris russ comics on instagram you can check that out perfect yeah we'll be back next week to share the remainder of um, avengers epic collection volume four and we look forward to uh, you being there with us thanks everybody for checking us out see you next time thanks thanks